Uh, the title of my message is The Journey. Uh, my wife said, what are you going to preach about this morning? I said, well, the theme this month is The Journey. And she said, okay, what's the title going to be? And I said, The Journey. Uh, and she said, uh, what, okay, what are you going to talk about? And I said, we're going to talk about The Journey. And um, so my message this morning is called The Journey. And we're going to talk about The Journey. Um, sorry, I'm all souped up on, I'm souped up on coffees and, and, and four hours of sleep. So uh, it's going to be fun. But I'm really excited to share with you this morning and... Uh, I have a real passion for the journey that we are on as a church, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about this. I'm, I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I, I, I kind of like history. Uh, I don't like all history, but church history fascinates me, and uh, I love reading the history of, of where the church has come from, and uh, you know, basically... You know, there might be a million odd, sorry, a billion odd Christians in the world today, somewhere around about there. And it started with one guy and 12 uneducated followers about 2,000 years ago sitting around in a place in the Middle East called Israel. And uh, so we are on a journey as a church. And I want to look at that this morning and the journey that we're on as, as individuals. Uh, as a City Point location uh, in Redcliffe, we are on a journey. Uh, I didn't even know, I, I didn't even know how old this building was, but City Point Redcliffe has been here for over 30 years. Uh, people, who, people that are here this morning were involved in the planning of this church. Uh, I had the, the opportunity to meet with some pastors recently, uh, an older couple that have, have since retired, they're in their mid-60s, and uh, we spoke about City Point Redcliffe, and they were telling me about a conference that City Point Redcliffe used to run, or at least, sorry, the church he ran uh, 30 years ago, it was the primary location for a prophetic conference that hosted the, the most significant prophetic speakers in the entire world. Uh, we, we were flying people out, you know, really well-recognized, uh, you know, world-leading speakers to run conferences here uh, in this auditorium. And so there's, an, there's a great heritage on this church. Uh, and so we're excited that as a location, City Point Redcliffe is growing and that we are uh, focused on doing a whole bunch of things out in the community and also as City Point, uh, the church is on a journey. Uh, just this week, uh, Pastor Mark was invited to fly over to Paris to speak at a church over there. And uh, if you're the other way around the world and you're going to get a speaker from Brisbane, uh, they must really know what you've got to say. And so uh, City Point is, is growing. Uh, we have locations that are popping up all around the world. And so we're on a, on a journey uh, and seeing some really exciting things happen at not just here, but a whole bunch of locations. Uh, you know, um, North Colorado I get, have recently gone to two services. They're talking about a conference running in America for the first time next year. And so, you know, we've got a thousand kids turning up to youth camp. So we, as City Point, uh, we are on a journey. Uh, the church in Australia is also on a journey. Uh, I don't know if you know much about this, but uh, a bunch of Christians turned up, you know, maybe 200 years ago. And even though if you sort of read the paper or, or watched the news, you would think maybe that Christianity is on a decline because the traditional denominations are probably probably in a bit of a decline, uh, the Pentecostal church is growing rapidly in the nation of Australia, and uh, some amazing just some amazing things have happened when you look at where we are in the context of history. Um, a, a story I told this morning, and I actually had a few people fact check me, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, but I, I had the privilege of meeting a guy by the name of Wayne Alcorn, who's a pastor here in Brisbane, and uh, his father who you would never have heard of. His name is Alec, uh, Alec Alcorn. He's, he is still alive. He's in his, in his early 90s, from what I believe. And, uh, you know, in the late 70s, 
he basically decided to go and plant some churches right throughout Queensland, North Queensland, you know, far West Queensland. And I don't know if my numbers are, are 100% accurate. I couldn't actually find it, but um, had the privilege of meeting, meeting these guys. And it's something like in the vicinity of about close to like over 150 churches uh, in about a four-year period. Okay, think about that. You know, like City Point Redcliffe is growing. You know, we've put a few locations. We, you know, Pine Rivers was two years ago. That's a whole other location. These guys planted over 150 churches right throughout Queensland in about four years. For like a phenomenal story. Uh, and so the church in Australia is growing. Churches that didn't even exist 30 years ago now have 200,000 people that turn up on a Sunday. And so we're on a journey. Uh, the church globally is on a journey. Uh, places that you wouldn't think necessarily are, you know, prime locations for Christianity, places like China, uh, where Christianity is pretty much illegal, um, have got the most, the fastest growing churches in the world are taking place in, in places like China, you know, right throughout South America, where there's obviously a huge uh, following of Catholicism, but the church is growing, the church is growing around the world. Uh, we couldn't get uh, missionaries into the Middle East because they were getting killed, so somehow there was a situation that God turned around for good and a whole bunch of Muslims were able to travel from the Middle East into Europe and they're encountering Christians, right? They're actually meeting Jesus at churches right around Europe. And so we, we had the chance to, uh, to partner with a church in Poland, I think it was, uh, Sweden, sorry, um, Word of Life Church, maybe two years ago, where Muslims are turning up in droves and, and, and getting saved. And so the church is on a journey, uh, now, one of the reasons I get really excited about this is because even though it is historic, it's also prophetic because the Bible tells us where the church is going, right? We're actually not there yet. We're sort of, I'll say we're maybe we're in the middle. We might be towards the end. I don't really know. I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't have a, a theology degree, uh, but we're in a really exciting time because the Bible tells us that we are on a journey. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul says this from verse 11. He says, uh, talking about the church, so Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, this is the important bit, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, basically what he's saying, he's talking about the church and Paul's saying, uh, I've, I, God's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to build the church up. Okay, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about all of you guys, right? So God's given these people to build up the church, which is the congregation, and it's going to keep going until we, until we as a group, as a church, okay, as a city point location, as part of the church globally, that's going to keep happening until we reach the full measure of Jesus, now, I don't know if you've raised anyone from the dead this week, but I'd say we've probably still got a little way to go, right? Can, are you hearing me this morning? So the, the role of the church is to build the church, right? Not just this church, but this church, so that we would actually measure up to the stature of Jesus. And so I'm really excited when I find about the journey that we're on as a church, because it means that I'm going to become more like Jesus, and all you guys are meant to become more like Jesus as well. And so I think it's safe to assume that we're not quite there yet. Okay? Maybe we're close. <laughs> but we've got some work to do. But the exciting thing is that we are on a journey, okay? 
and that we are all growing. We're all growing collectively. And the thing that really blows my mind is the fact that as we are on a, we are on a journey as a church, this church is nothing but the individuals that fill it. Okay? The building would still be here and we could put a service on, but if you guys didn't turn up, it wouldn't be the church. Right? So the fact that we're on a journey as a church is exciting. What really excites me is the fact that we are on, we are on a journey as individuals. And so we celebrate our praise reports every week because we celebrate that that is part of the journey of the church that that journey of one individual is part of the journey as a church and so i get really excited and and so i have to tone down uh my excitement sometimes and i want to explain that because uh for those of you that know me you would know that uh i'm I'm generally a pretty happy kind of guy right uh i tend to not much tends to phase me uh, I have got stressed a few times in my life, uh, but generally I'm pretty happy, right? And so I try and tone down my excitement sometimes because this is what happens. I meet people and every week I meet people and I'll be out in the foyer and I'll, I, you know, I shake a lot of people's hands and say hi and welcome them, but I don't necessarily know everybody and I apologize, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, but as we're doing this, people tell me their stories and I get really excited. Now the problem with that, it's not necessarily a problem, but the reason I try and tone it down is because when you're sitting in church, you often meet a lot of people that are on the journey, right? And they find themselves in some really tough situations. And I don't want to water that down in, in any way at all. Uh, I had the, you know, I met a lady a few weeks ago that I'd met and shook hands with, but didn't really know her, at least not, you know, not by name. And so I just, you know, I bumped into her in, in the corridor and we had a chat. And she started telling me about her life. And, and she said, look, I've been battling with cancer for the last... Uh, 18 months and I didn't I just hadn't put two and two together and so we had a great conversation and she's telling me about her journey and and where she is and then all of a sudden it started to tick like you know you she'd been in chemo and she was wearing a headscarf and I'm like oh I can't believe I never really recognized this before but I was really excited okay and I had to try and tone down my excitement a little bit but what excites me is the fact that in the midst of this lady in her journey which is really tough I want to encourage her and I want to support her. But the, the best thing that I can hope for is that God is actually the God that heals and he meets her in a situation. Okay? And so I get excited because I think of the prospect. Imagine what it would be like. Come on, imagine what it would be like to stand here on a Sunday morning and say a lady that's been through chemotherapy, been diagnosed with cancer, is cancer-free because Jesus met her in a situation. How can, we not, how can we not be excited about the journey that we're on as a church? And like I said, I don't want to tone down uh, or water down the struggles that people are going through because a lot of us have struggles and a lot of us are in situations that are tough. And if you forget everything else I say this morning, uh, we are believing for you and we have faith that God is good and He's going to turn up in your situation. And so I'm really excited about the journey that we are on as individuals. And so this morning, I just wanted to share a few thoughts on uh, the destination, you know, where we're going. Because often someone gets up here and and says that we're on a journey and we're going to the promised land and things are going to be fantastic, but we don't always know what that necessarily looks like. Like, what does that look like on a Monday? And so I just wanted to share a few few thoughts on on what the kingdom looks like. Uh, There's a passage in... In Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, and basically uh, Jesus walks into the temple. He picks up 
the Old Testament, which is the Bible that they had at the time, and he starts to read from it, and he starts to basically declare and say that, look, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that God sent to bring liberty to the captives and salvation to the poor, and this is my purpose. And he gives uh, a few statements, six points that I just want to mention about what it looks like as this journey that we're on. What does it look like when we're making progress? What should we be believing for? And so there's six things in this in this verse that I want to pick up this morning. The first is that we would see salvation for the poor. Okay? Jesus says, I'm here to bring salvation and preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I don't necessarily believe that just talks specifically about people that need money, but I know that around the world there are people that are in some really dire situations. Okay? There's people that are in some really dire situations, and we want them to know more than anything that Jesus died on the cross and that he has eternal life in store for them. And no matter what situation that they're in, they can receive salvation. Okay? And so we need to believe that people would actually find salvation and meet God. Okay? Because maybe the situation that they're in isn't going to turn around. Maybe the situation that they're in is going to be late in life. We, we find people that are meeting Jesus not in their 20s, but in their 70s and their 80s. And we want them to know more than anything more than anything, that God loves them and they can receive salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross. So number one, we, need, we want salvation for the poor. Number two, we need to believe for hope for the brokenhearted. Okay? The world is not preaching a message of hope. <laughs> okay? If, you, if you're listening to what happens on social media and in mainstream media, you'll realize that there isn't a lot of hope getting pushed around the world. Okay? And so one of the keys for, of what our destination, what heaven looks like, is that we would preach hope to the brokenhearted. Now, for a lot of people, that's quite a, that's quite a confronting message because we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've thrown out the idea that God could even exist, and now they're trying to have hope in something. I don't know what you hope for. If you were a mistake and you just turned up here because some atoms went bang, uh, things aren't looking real good for your future. And so we need to actually have hope. As a voice of the church, we need to have hope for those that have no hope. Okay, we need to actually give them the good news that God is good and that He loves them and that He has a future for them so that we can actually be hope for a generation. Maybe hope that they can get out of the stuff that they're caught in and actually live a life that God's called them to live. Uh, we need to actually be able to provide liberty for captives. We, I spoke uh, just, just to a friend of mine this morning about some of the situations that young people are finding themselves in which didn't exist 50 years ago, right? Like 50 years ago, if you were 18, you couldn't go and get yourself in $50,000 of credit card debt, you know? And yet these are the situations that young people are finding them in. With all the stuff that goes on in life with money and, and relationships and sex and everything else, people like, I hope you're understanding me, people can get themselves in a whole bunch of trouble, right? And yet if we're going to be a voice of hope, if we're actually going to preach the gospel, we actually need to let people know that there is liberty for those who are currently captive, okay? So whatever situation they're currently in, God wants to meet them and God wants to help them get through their situation. It might be tough. It might be a struggle. It might happen miraculously overnight. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we need to actually be a voice of liberty for those who have found themselves in captivity. Uh, The fourth one is we need to experience a greater level of healing for the sick. We... (laughs) we Jesus was known as the guy that healed the sick, right? Not, not in the church, but in the community. 
So when people knew that Jesus healed the sick, they would go and tear the, 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 the roof off a building to lower sick people through so that he could heal them, right? And my point isn't the fact that we pray for the sick. My point is that Jesus was known as someone that healed the sick in the community. And so they brought the sick people to the church. And so there's a greater level of healing that we need to experience. Okay? There is a much greater level of breakthrough that as a church we need to experience and be able to demonstrate, not that we would be known in here, but so the kingdom would be known out there. Uh, <laughs> Number five is, is freedom for the oppressed. Now, it might sound a little bit similar to liberty to the captives, but the truth is some people are captive from things that they have found themselves in, as in things that are of their own making. And yet the world is also full of people that are currently uh, not free of oppression. Okay? Like, think about it on the, on the backdrop of history. You know, if you were a woman, you couldn't vote until 90 years ago. Right? And yet Jesus, if you actually read the Bible, was a, a very passionate feminist. I mean, you think about it. Jesus went into stuff that was completely culturally incorrect and said, hey, it's actually only good for a man to have one wife. And it actually says in the Bible that people turned around and said, this teaching is so hard, how can we follow it? And they left him because he said, it's only good for you to have one wife. Right? Right? So Jesus was a radical feminist, and it's taken the church 1,900 years to catch on, right? It took us 1,900 years to work out that Jesus was right and start to promote women. But if you were a woman, you were generally, in one way or another, you were probably oppressed until 100 years ago. And so as a church, globally, as well as City Point and Redcliffe, we need to be actually being or supplying freedom for the oppressed. I don't ever want to be known as a church that is against things, but a church that is for things. I, I, would, I would never be happy with a legacy to think that we would be a church that was against gay marriage but not for liberty of people and, and, and uh, migrants that are stuck in Australia. Okay, I want to be known for what we believe. I don't want to be known for what we don't believe in. Is, if, does that make sense? And so there's a whole bunch of people in this world that are currently oppressed that we need to believe that one way or another, miraculously or through our means or through what God's doing in this church, that we would be able to provide freedom for the oppressed. And number six, we actually need to declare the goodness of God. We actually, as a church, on the journey, we want people to be able to walk in here and this to be a place where they encounter one way or another that God is good. Not, not just that He's God, but that He's actually good. He's not angry. You know, they need to walk in the doors and find a bunch of loving Christians and realize that God isn't some angry, omnipotent guy that sits up in the sky throwing lightning bolts out because he hates your life, right? But that he loves you, <laughs> come on, and that he has good plans for your life so that you can actually turn up. And so this is just a few of the things of what the kingdom looks like. So we're on a journey, and we might be in the middle somewhere or towards the end, I don't really know, but there's six things that we need to improve on and that we are on the journey towards. And so every week when we get up and we pray, this is what we're believing for. We're believing for salvation for the poor, hope for the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, healing for the sick, freedom for the oppressed, and to declare the goodness of God. Amen. That's the journey that we're on as a church. There's probably a whole bunch of things which I've forgotten about, but there's just six out of one passage that we are believing for a greater level of breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I just think about the stories, you know, a guy that is so passionate about seeing those things take place that he would go and plant a few hundred churches in Queensland. 
you know, that someone would be so passionate about seeing that take place, not, not as, just as a church, but as an individual. And so I, this morning, I would encourage everybody, it's not just about the decisions of what we do as a church, but it's really about the decisions that we make as individuals, that you can actually have an impact. You might not be able to save the entire community, but you might be able to make a difference in one person's life. And so what we do matters. And so I want to I wrap up this morning just with three points. Uh, three keys that we can better live out the life that God's called us for. As we're on this journey as a church, uh, three of the ways that we're, we're walking through the journey. And uh, all three of these come out of the story of the Israelites going from uh, captivity, slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness and into the promised land. And that's the journey that God's taking the church on. It's the journey that God's taking us on as individuals is out of captivity, maybe through some wilderness and into the promised land. And so three keys I want to finish with this morning. Number one, we need to focus on God's intentions, not your current situation. Right at the start, when, when the Israelites are still captive in Egypt, uh, out of Exodus 3, God says this, He said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about your suffering. I feel it's a word this morning that God is concerned about if if you're in a situation this morning and you're suffering, God is concerned about your suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The story, the journey of the Israelites... (laughs) We tend to watch a movie and, and someone says, what's the movie about? And we tell them about the bulk of the movie. We never tell them about the end, you know, because you never want to give the end away. And so we read the story of Exodus. We read the story of the Israelites and we say, it's a story about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And then we kind of forget the end of the story. But the story really is God taking the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness <laughs> and to the promised land. Come on. That's the journey. The journey's going somewhere, all right? And so whatever situation you're in this morning, don't mistake God's intentions for your situation, okay? If you're in a tough situation right now, you might be on a journey, but God's taking you to the promised land. He's not going to get you stuck in the wilderness and then leave you. He's taking you out of captivity and into freedom. Number two, (laughs) some things will need to be left behind. Some things in life actually need to be left where they came from. Uh, in, in Joshua 5, there's a story of the Israelites walking into the promised land. They, they, they travel across the Jordan River. And this is what it says from verse 11. It says, The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. (laughs) The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years and God provided for them with manna, with bread that fell from heaven. They would wake up in the morning and they would go and find this bread that was scattered around in the desert. And that was what they had as produce. That's what they lived off, right? And yet when they got to the promised land, the manna stopped. And they lived off the produce of the land. Okay? Their way of thinking that survived them in the wilderness didn't work for them when they got to the promised land, right? The the tools that they used while they were in the wilderness weren't the tools that they needed 
when they got into the promised land. And so I feel this morning as we're on this journey that there's, for some of us, there's some, there's some things that you need to leave behind. Maybe there's some ways of thinking. The way that you used to think needs to be left behind and you'll need to learn a new way of thinking of how things are in the kingdom, right? Maybe there's some relationships that you need to leave behind because what existed in the wilderness or in captivity isn't what needs to exist in the promised land. And so there might be some things this morning that we need to leave behind. And I just want to say this this morning, anything that you need to leave behind is only to put you in a better place. Okay? We're not here to get rid of the old thinking. We're here to pick up some new thinking. We're not here to just go and get rid of stuff for the sake of minimalism. We're here to go and dust off and get rid of a bunch of the old stuff so that we can pick up the good stuff that Jesus has in store for us. We, man, I don't want to be walking around living off manna in the desert when I can be eating the produce in the land of milk and honey. Come on. Some things need to be left behind. Number three, uh, big change comes down to individual decisions. Come on. If you forget everything else this morning, just remember that. <laughs> big changes come from individual decisions. Uh, Deuteronomy 1 tells a story where Moses and the Israelites first find themselves at the entrance to Canaan, the, the entrance of the promised land. And so they decide to send out 12 spies. And this is Moses speaking. He says, Then you came to me and said, Let us send men out to spy out the land and bring us back a report. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came out of the valley of Eshkol and explored it taking with them some of the fruit of the land they brought it down and reported it is a good land that our Lord is giving to us think about this about 2 million people estimated 2 million Israelites men, women and children that God brings out of Egypt (laughs) when they get to the promised land he picks 12 people to go and check it out 2 million down to 12 10 of them turn around and say it's no good the people are too big we can't conquer it we can't do it two men two guys turn around and say this is a good land the land that the Lord has declared for us and this is where we're going you know a a whole generation of people had to basically wait to die out until the two men could take a new generation to live in the promised land And we can often live our lives waiting for someone in some position of prominence to make a decision so that we can advance the kingdom. (laughs) You know, people are often, sometimes people are waiting for a politician to make a decision to advance the kingdom, right? In a country of 25 million. And yet we need to be the ones making a decision. We often live our lives waiting for somebody else to do something. And yet, right throughout the Bible, right throughout history, there's decisions of just individuals making one decision that changed the course of history. You know, the the Pentecostal movement that we are a part of started with one guy in the late 1800s in the US. He ended up, he wasn't necessarily the first, but he ended up in a place called Azusa Street, which is a street in California, a street in Los Angeles. One guy turned up, and this is what he did. He read Acts chapter 2, where it says that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they did signs and wonders and miracles and they spoke in new tongues. One guy. 
you know, out of the Azusa Street Revival, uh, thousands of people were saved. One of them was a guy called, one of them, just one of them. One of them was a guy called John G. Lake, a young guy, early 30s, wife and about four kids. Moved to South Africa and saw a million people healed. A million people healed because of one guy. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus took 12 uneducated men, 12 of them. Put them in a house in Israel, right? No, no PA, no microphone, no lights, no band. Love you, Cam. Twelve guys, nothing. And yet within 300 years, the most significant world superpower, the Roman Empire that had ever existed, adopted Christianity as the official religion because of 12 men that sat in a room. (laughs) And so I get excited when I say that we're on a journey as a church. Because all it's going to take is 12 people, and I'm pretty sure we've got more than 12. Right? (laughs) At least. And so the best days of the church are ahead of us. We're, We're on a journey, and often the resistance that I've had before is people going, well, if that's what God wanted, why hasn't it happened before? And the answer is really, for me is really simple. The reason it hasn't happened before is because we didn't know it was meant to happen. Come on, what people are like, why isn't revival? Why isn't Australia seen revival? Well, Australia has seen revival. Why isn't it happening right now? Well, the reason it's not happening right now is because you don't actually know that you're meant to be doing it. You're meant to be doing it. Me, me too, I got, I'm the one that's got to lead by example. I don't want to teach anything that I can't demonstrate. But as we are on a journey as a church, we are on a journey as individuals. And the most important thing is that each one of us can put our blinkers on just for a second, shut out everybody else. And if one of us can make a decision to change the nation, the Holy Spirit can move through and do something significant in this nation. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm excited uh, about what's happening. And I I just want to let you know that every week, whether you're aware of it or not, uh, things take place in the life of the church. Just like the praise report that you heard this morning. People are meeting God. Maybe it's one a week. I don't know. Maybe it's 10. I'm not really sure. But if it's one, it's a good week. Maybe someone comes in and they already know Jesus and, and something happens in their life. You know, someone comes in that's been a believer for 20 years and says, I need a job and God provided a job. Come on, God's at, He's at work. And so I believe that this, this season that we're in, that it's going to turn into a wave and it's going to build momentum. And just like 30 years ago, that this would be a house that is known for people to encounter the presence of God. And so I want to pray for you this morning if you want to bow your heads. Father, I thank you for every man, woman and child that's in this place this morning. Lord, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work to encounter them. The Holy Spirit would be at work to speak to them. Lord God, to meet them, to equip them, to empower them, to extend your kingdom, Lord. To extend your kingdom, not just in this building, but out there in the community, Father, that you would give them a passion 
Lord God, to preach salvation to the poor, liberty to the captives, healing to the sick, Lord. Father, we pray that you would give them a boldness, Lord God, that it wouldn't have to happen in here and they wouldn't be waiting for someone else, but they would feel empowered to be able to go and release the kingdom through their hands, Father. There would be liberty to the captives, healing to the sick, Lord God, freedom to those who are oppressed, that they would declare the good and favorable year of the God, the year of the Lord in our community, Father. Pray that you would meet them, Lord God. I pray that you would give them dreams and visions and a future and a hope, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would raise up a generation of men and women young and old that are passionate about the things of God that would steer a shift in this nation and in the nations of the world. And right now, as we have heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to extend an invitation just in case there is anyone here that is yet to actually make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're here for the 10th time, but... You actually need to actually, you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. You're hearing about what God's actually like. You're hearing that he actually loves you and that he has a plan for you. And you've never had the opportunity to say, yeah, I need to follow this Jesus. I need to make a decision to follow him and move from the old into the new, to move out of stress and anxiety into the promised land that God has in store for you. And so if you need to make that decision, what this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand while... Everybody's eyes are closed. This is a moment of privacy. I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to feel manipulated in any way. But if you need to make that decision, uh, we want to give you a chance this morning. So one, two, three. Come on, if there's anyone here this morning, just ask you to raise your hand that needs to make a decision to follow Jesus. Father, we honour you this morning. We honour you, Lord. We pray that your kingdom would be established. We pray for what you want to do in this nation. We thank you for everyone here, Lord. We thank you for anyone here that didn't raise their hand, Father, but has made a decision, Lord God, and you see our hearts and our motives. We pray that you would bless them, that you would favour them, and that you would equip them in the name of Jesus. And everybody with faith this morning said, Amen. 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 Well, awesome. Listen, thank you guys for coming.